prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dirty! burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're gonna be like blown out of the water but you just go no I just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers Penis again just showing himself he's found space but not seem to exist but Luce is there oh my goodness he's gone and done it again oh what about that now then everybody I am Tom Ramsey and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast the Edge is a performance cycling company based in East Yorkshire and it is my greatest pleasure to have you listening to me today whether you're currently out riding your bike in the lanes or simply on your commute to work in the car. This podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology and much much more. Every single podcast that I do will also feature a Q&A section too and you can submit these questions by sending me a message on any of my social media channels. Without further ado, let's begin. Now then, now then. Hello everybody. How's it going? I'm very well, thanks for asking. Uh, today is Friday and just to quickly set the scene, it's 4pm. Um, I wasn't actually going to do a podcast today. Uh, I was going to wait till Monday, but I put out on my Instagram stories, uh, if anyone would like a, um, like a story time segment on my Everesting challenge that I did a couple of years ago. Um, or like a training information podcast and uh, the feedback was pretty heavily favoured towards uh, the Everesting uh, story time so I thought I'd um, I'd got half an hour spare an hour spare this evening so I thought I'd rattle through it um, I'm just sat here in my living room it's starting to turn a bit dark outside and I'm just waiting for the missus to get back from work. I'll let you into a little secret. Friday night is treat night and we are having a takeaway this evening. So, um, oh, Tom, you shouldn't be having takeaways. They're unhealthy. Well, it's good to treat yourself now and again. And the takeaway that I'm having is actually from a place called The Greek in Hull, which um, does some fantastic Greek food, and uh, yeah, I'd argue that what I'm going to be choosing from that takeaway restaurant is not going to be that unhealthy anyway. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a balance, and 95% of my diet is all home cooked, incredibly healthy meals, and this chicken gyros that I'm having tonight with some. Uh, Greek salad is um, such a small piece of the puzzle. So there we go. Um, <clears throat> so just some little updates before I get going. Um, as some of you will have found out, um, my business has been very fluid uh, the past couple of days, couple of weeks. And uh, and yeah, things have been pretty busy. Um, <clears throat> first things first, I've picked up 
uh, a new team to be coached. Uh, Racine Female Development Academy, uh, RFDA. Uh, they are a female-only team where the riders range between, I think, 14 and 20. And I am going to be coaching eight of their riders to prepare for the 2021 race season. And I am really, really excited to be working with them. Um, obviously, you know, first of all, you know, I, I cap my clients at a certain amount of, um, of, of clients and, um, and the, I'm taking on eight clients is a, a big proportion of that. Um, they are all very, very talented riders. Um, and they've got a bright future ahead of them. I've been talking to them recently via email and Skype and getting them all signed up. I'm getting in, into the labs very shortly to be tested. Um, and it's looking really promising. I mean, you know, that they're, a lot of them are going through certain exams um, and mocks at the minute because they're at that age. So they've got a lot of stresses on, but, you know, talking to them about what train they're currently doing and the form that they've already got, I think that I can work well with them to to really accelerate their their development. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, other nice little bit of news, which I have known for a, a few weeks slash months now, but um, we're finally allowed to, uh, you know, come out with it is that my ex-client, Nathan Smith, he has been um, selected for a pro team. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really, really, really good news. Um, the, you know, he is such a hard-working athlete and, um, and it was an absolute pleasure to work with him for the few years that I was coaching him. Um, and we've had to obviously separate because they've got their own coach for the team. Um, but yeah, uh, he's he's racing for Team Novo and Nordist. And uh, they are um, basically, if you look at them on Instagram or um, or on the internet, you'll, you'll understand a little bit about them. Um, but they are the world's first all-diabetes professional cycling team. So... Um, you know they what they're trying to do is to inspire and educate and empower everyone living with diabetes um obviously nathan has diabetes himself not that you'd know about it you know he he's his performance is unbelievable and he's one of the strongest riders i've ever coached um and it was a pleasure to work with him he's a he's absolutely great lad um and he'll go far with it so that's some really good news that i've managed to be a part of his career a part of his progression um so yeah it's a nice little confidence boost for myself i guess um other things going on obviously becky is um 29 weeks pregnant at the minute so yeah we're going through that together and um and obviously i'm investing a lot of time in the business at the minute but also trying to keep that work-life balance real um and uh, and yeah, support her as much as I possibly can. Training wise, for me, obviously, it's a, it's a 
we're the, we're in the middle of the off season at the minute. Um, so my training structure is not um, incredibly strict at the minute. I am doing a lot of work in the gym, staying warm and uh, and dry in the gym, and uh, and putting in the work. And I'm also riding a few times a week, which I'm enjoying. I've actually done some efforts this morning on Walkington Climb, which a lot of locals, local riders will know. Um, but yeah, second podcast. Um, and my Everesting Challenge. So for those of you who, I mean, a lot of you might already know, um, but for those of you who don't know, a few years ago, um, Monday the 13th of August 2018, I cycled up Garraby Hill, which is located in East Yorkshire, a total of 52 times to match the total height of Mount Everest. Now, this is 29,030 feet. Um, and at the time, and, and what still is, it's it's kind of a bit of a thing, you know, to do for cyclists. It's, it's called Everesting, and you basically... Um, find a hill, ride up and down it as many times as you can in one without any rest um, and um, and try and mount, match the height of Everest. Um, in this time, I covered 145 miles and it took me um, a total of 12 and a half hours. So I thought I'd kind of explain my experience for it because um, it's become more of a thing now and a lot of riders have tried and succeeded a lot of riders have trialed tried and failed um it's a bloody hard task and um yeah i think if you can you know you can prepare all you all you like but i think the best way of preparing if you're thinking of doing something like this for example is to actually listen to somebody else's experience and feedback from um from their experiences there the things that worked for them and the things that they might have done better. So I didn't do it on my own. I did it with one of my clients and one of my friends, uh, Rich Baldwin, who is the team manager of um, what is now called World Top the Edge. Um, and I remember when he first approached me with the idea, it was genuinely about one minute before the start of um, the local road race league. Um, and, and Rich kind of explained the idea and said that, you know, he typically does a challenge once a year. Um, but he genuinely asked me about a minute before I was about to start this, this, this race. And I would just kind of passed it off and said, yeah, yeah, sounds good, mate. Um, you know, thinking nothing more of it because I couldn't really zone in and, and, and get into the mindset of what that might actually entail. <laughs> and obviously it was a few months away yet. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I committed, I basically, I committed there and then I said, yeah, sounds good, mate. And Rich, I think just took that by the, took that in his hands and said, right, well, we're going to do it then. And we set a date. Um, I do like to pride myself on being a very adaptive athlete. And, um, by that, I mean, I complete in multiple disciplines of cycling, both on and off road. And um, that's a, a few, a massive catalogue of different distances, durations and intensities. And as well as cycling, I do a lot of strength conditioning work and so on and so forth. Um, and and yeah, but what I mean by that is, you know, obviously 
at the time I was doing some crit racing and some short road racing and it was only a couple of months prep I had to be able to cycle an Everest but in the back of my mind I thought okay well you know I've got this foundation of endurance and I've got the strength that I need and if I can just refine and, and tweak a couple of bits in my training i.e do a bit more hill climbing in the next few weeks month, months I'll be absolutely fine um, but let's be honest absolutely none of my training is anything like attempting to do an Everesting so um, whether that was foolish of me you'll find out so a couple of weeks down the line and I just thought why the fuck am I doing this and oh shit this is really happening you know it, it kind of it dawned on me when when uh, Rich messaged me again a few weeks later and said right we are we choosing a date then because I was like oh crap you know it's it's happening um, and we went we set to it we um, Rich is actually one of my coach coach riders as I mentioned um, and you know, it, it was quite important for both of us to get this date in the diary so that I can schedule it around his training and I can start to think about what I want to do for my training to prepare for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we obviously needed to know which date we were doing to book the day off work and things like that. One of the first things that we started to discuss was the choice of Hill. Um, you know, that there was a lot of things to consider and looking back now that was a very 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 good decision as to which hill i chose and if you're thinking about doing an everesting these are the kind of things you need to consider this hill does not want to be too steep so you don't want to exert yourselves way too much obviously if you choose an incredibly steep hill no matter what gear ratio you're doing you're going to have to put a near maximal effort just to get up the hill um you want to keep cadence fairly high um, you know, as soon as you start to really grind out gears, then, you know, you're using way too much of a strength component and you'll fatigue too quickly. But equally, the hills want to be too shallow because you'll have to do just loads and loads and loads of reps and loads of distance to complete the elevation. One important aspect is this hill does not want to be too rough or bumpy. Um, it's unpleasant. You want that recovery, i.e. cycling back down the hill to be um, as easy as possible. So it doesn't want to be bumpy. You want to be able to not touch the brakes. You want to be able to completely relax and prepare for the next ascent. Um, luckily for us, at the point of we, which we were discussing which hill we might, were going to use, Garaby was actually resurfaced literally about a week before we decided. So that really helped. And get, for those who know Garaby Hill, um, it used to be pretty rough and horrible and now it's as smooth as a baby's ass it's really nice um so uh, so yeah that was a, a big tick in the box there obviously the hill doesn't want to be too busy with traffic um and that's the only catch with garaby hill it does get pretty busy um but obviously we chose a midweek day we chose a monday which hopefully most people will be at work and not going up and down the hill um the hill didn't want to be too far from our houses because there was just too much log logistics involved for traveling and we took too much time to drive to the thing. Um, we also didn't want to choose a hill which had already been Everested because we couldn't qualify for the Hell's 500 Hall of Fame if we did that. But also the, um, the hill didn't want to be too uh, lumpy or twisty turny. 
Um, again, the straighter the hill, the less turns, um, the more you can relax on the descent. Um, we wanted a consistent effort. As you can see, it's an absolute minefield when it comes to choosing the right hill, though. Um, and one of our priorities that we did choose was that that, um, that hill wanted to be a hill which provided us with as little reps as possible. And when you're looking at the hills around in East Yorkshire, you will be amazed by how such a small change in, in elevation of a hill can be the difference between doing 50 reps or 120 reps. Um, there is a nice calculator online. Um, if you visit everesting.io, um, you can basically work out how many reps you'd have to do by putting in the, the Strava segment for that climb. Um, and uh, and yeah, that calculated that um, Garibay Hill would take, I think it was 56 reps it calculated. So we chose the hill and yeah, we put the date in the diary. Richard booked the day off work. I'd booked the day off work and we were set. We were going. Um, at this point, it's about a month away. No, about a month and a half away from the date that we set. Um, now, a little bit about the motivation to do it. Now, initially, Rich basically just wanted to do it to do it. You know, it, every, Rich wanted to... Um, every year set himself a mental and physical challenge that he could try and overcome. And I liked the idea of that. I liked the idea of, you know, um, obviously we, we race for performance all the time. I like the idea of actually just um, doing something that's more of a mental challenge that you have to get yourself around because I think it helps you in life in terms of coping mechanisms and things like that. But... Um, on the 12th of July, so roughly two months before, or a month and a half before we did it, um, sorry, no, a month before we did it, um, one of my close friends, um, close friends, James Counton, passed away while racing his bike on the Isle of Man. And um, when I'm talking about it, yeah, it's it's making my heart wrench a little bit here and um, I can feel my cheekbones drooping a little bit. Um, it, it gives me a lump in my throat to talk about it, to be honest. Um, James and I were really good friends when we were younger. Um, for those of you who know James, you will understand how much of a... A fantastic human being he was. Um, I have very fond memories of James and myself tear tearing round on mountain bikes after school um, with our trousers tucked into our socks, uh, pulling wheelies and skids in our local fields and making motorbike noises, doing what youngsters do best. He was an absolutely sound guy and always, always had a smile on his face. I was devastated by the news of his tragic accident and was keen that my attempt in August should be in his memory. Um, so basically, I, I I said to myself that I was doing it for James and also I tried to raise a bit of money um, for a charity that was close to him and his family, which was the Rob Vine Fund, um, which basically pro provided emergency care for the riders um, which were involved in accidents over there in the Isle of Man. 
Now, as I'm sure you can probably understand, um, once the word was out on social media, um, within a few days, you know, the the local paper started contacting me um, on the radio, and everyone was approaching me with kind words of encouragement and sponsorship. Now, this had gone from being what would be fairly low-key event to something that not only a lot of people knew about, but also a lot of people wanted to support. And this was becoming very real. Um, if I ever had the opportunity to jib out before, I certainly didn't have that opportunity now um, because there was a lot of pressure on me. And to be honest, I didn't want to jib out. So the pressure was good. Now, preparation-wise... I absolutely love preparing for big events. I am a cycling coach and being a project manager is a big part of the job. So, you know, it, it makes me quite quite obsessive in terms of, okay, thinking about equipment selection. What should my bike be like? What should I eat during the day? And what should those, that exact timing pro protocol be? Um, how much do I need to eat? Um, things like, okay, I need a backup Garmin or a backup um, cycling computer to make sure that I can record the, the damn event. Um, if certain weather happens, how shall I account for that? Things like that. Who's going to actually come and support me? As I mentioned, training-wise, I didn't have a massive amount of time to try and adjust my training um, to, to, to for this event. And... Uh, to be honest, to be brutally honest, I had more important things for me personally to target. And at the time, I was actually winning a, a local um, crit racing uh, series. And um, I was kind of, well, I was kind of joint first battling with a, another local racer. And, um, and I, wanted to in, I wanted to win this. So you know, if I just devote all of my training time to climbing hills fairly slowly, then I would compromise my performance in that as well. So I was going, kind of going on the on the basis that I wanted to introduce a little bit of hill climbing into my training plan, but without compromising my top end and my racing performance too much. So, um, I mean, you know, the other thing as well is my overall endurance. I mean, prior to this of Everesting, the longest training ride I had, I had ever done was just about five hours. And I need to prepare for something that might be 12 hours. Um, so it might have been fairly selfish of me to prioritize my racing performance. But um, I was just going on the fact that, right, on the day of the Everest, people will be there. There'll be a lot of pressure. As long as I eat enough and as long as my head's in the right place, um, I'll get through it. And there's no, when I was doing this Everesting, there's no kind of, it doesn't have to be high performance. I don't need to make sure that I train for this effectively. I just need to make sure I can get through the damn thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was my approach. Training rise, I was keeping it really simple. Um, by this point, I had three weeks left. Um, I wasn't going to change too much in my training. Basically, all I did was on my longer endurance rides, which there was two a week, I would opt for a more hilly loop. Um, two weeks out, I would go to the Garabi Hill and I'd perform three reps, reps of the hill. And one week out, I'd go to Garabi Hill and perform about six or seven reps of the hill. And that was literally it. Um, 
I didn't want to go silly. Um, I didn't want to start doing, you know, 12, 20 reps of Garabi because to be honest, by before the day came, I'd already been mentally tired from the hill anyway. Obviously, a few days out from the event, I started tapering down my training a little bit. Um, roughly five days before, I just reduced my training volume to about 60, 50, 50, 60%. Did a few kind of short activation rides and that was it. Um, now, pacing wise, this was the unknown territory. I knew what kind of power and heart rates I had to stay away from on the day. <clears throat> and I knew roughly what I should be able to sustain but again this has never been properly tested for me so it was a little bit of educated guesswork um, it's also not a sustained effort it's nine to ten minutes of effort followed by approximately two minutes of rest where is which is the descending time so this is obviously something that I've kind of never replicated in training about two weeks before the event, uh, Rich and I met up for a coffee and just to discuss things properly in terms of logistics. Um, we mutually decided that six reps would be a nice number to complete consecutively before each little stop. So basically we decided to do six reps of the hill back to back without any stops whatsoever, which is approximately an hour and a half worth of effort. Then we would stop off at the van, which is parked at the top of the hill, for approximately four or five minutes. Literally enough time to change our bottles, shove some food down us, and then set back off again. With regards to my equipment and setup, uh, I won't go into this, I won't bore you too much, but basically I just um, used the my standard road bike uh, that I was racing at the time, which is a, a 2018 TCR Advanced SL2. So it's all fairly standard. Um, apart from I changed the cassette around um, and I basically made the gearing a little bit lower. So I, I, I put, um, I think it was a, yeah, it was an 11.20, no, it was 11.32 I got on there. Um, whereas normally in a race I would run an 11.25 or whatever it was. I was on 11.32 just to give me that kind of get out of jail gear if I needed it. Um I also moved the seat slightly further forward just so I could get over that over that bottom bracket a little bit for um, for climbing. It just it suits me a little bit better if I can get over the pedals uh, to press down on the um, on the pedals. With regards to the gearing, um, I worked out that at an acceptable cadence range on the steepest part of about 70 rpm. Um, I would have to put out approximately 300 watts for a minute. Um, now, for me at the time, weighing 74 kilos, on the day of the event, this would be at a touch over four four watts per kilo. Um, but obviously, it, that's plenty easy enough for just a minute. Um, the rest of the hill, uh, with the gearing that I've got, obviously I've got, I can go right down to 220 watts if needs be and still maintain 70, 80 RPM. Um, but, um, but yeah, that, that, that gearing, if I, if I, you see, if I, the trouble is if I had, um, that 11.25 on or 11.28 on, that would mean that I'd have to go into like 340, 350 watts for that, that steepest part of the hill. And all that, although that on its own isn't too difficult, that repeated many times would, you know, start to fatigue me very quickly. Ed at Viva Lovello lent me, um, 
a giant Neos track GPS cycle computer. Um, and to be honest, now obviously I know, uh, know, know what happened. We know what the battery life is on Garmin sometimes. I, I normally ride with a Garmin Edge 520, um, 520 plus, and, uh, and yeah, I wasn't risking anything. Um, I cannot thank Ed enough for lending me that because after nearly 13 hours of riding, <laughs> that Neos track still had a whopping 83% um, of battery left. So, uh, so yeah, fair play to the giant Neos track. If you're after a cycling computer that where the battery lasts a long time, that's the one to have. Um, yeah, my Garmin was would have died after about three or four hours probably. <laughs> um, the last change I made to my bike was to write the number of reps and all the required elevation on my stem. So I just uh, stuck a bit of paper on my stem with the with the laps required. Um, and the feet and a little hashtag for James um, just so that I knew exactly how many meters I'd have to achieve and I wasn't ever confused with all my uh, fatigue that was going on. Nutrition and hydration, um, obviously this was an exciting part for me. Um, I worked out how many calories I would need. I won't go into the ins and outs of how I did that, but basically I had to eat a fuck ton. <laughs> um, the, I mean, I, f I came to the figure, um, which I converted into food energy, and I would worked out that I'd need roughly 9,000 calories for the Everestic attempt to maintain, um, you know, energy stores, let's put it simply. Um, now, that is just mind-boggling, that amount of calories. But when you consider that... Um, what I'll be eating is quite simple calorie dense foods in the day. You can soon start to get up to around that number, to be honest. Um, the general consensus was eating roughly 40 to 50 grams of carb carbohydrates an hour. Um, that will be from very simple, low fat, low fiber carbohydrates. Um, so things like rice cakes that I make, things like flapjack that my gran made. But then also you need to consider that I am riding for 12 odd hours. I do not want to be living on purely sugar because that will make me feel sick. That will make me feel crap. And, um, you know, if you're doing a 45, 50 minute crit, you can get away with, you know, just pure, you know, pure sugar and, and energy gels and things like that if you need them. Or, you know, a three hour road race, you can get away with that. Um, if you're going for 12 hours, you need some substance, you need change of flavor, because otherwise you'll get what we call palate fatigue. So as well as some flapjack and as well as some rice cakes, I also had things like sushi. Sushi is fantastic on the go. It's easily digestible. Um, it's got some uh, good micronutrient content. It's got some good macronutrient content. It's also got good um, electrolyte balance. So it helps with sodium. Um, it's easily digestible. It's got some protein in there. And, uh, and yeah, it's nice, nice to eat. Um, easy to pop in the mouth. I also made myself some like tuna rice mixture. Um, again, fairly low fiber, but with a good bit of protein in there as well. And along the way, I also had two whey protein shakes as well um just to keep topping up my 
muscle protein synthesis um, because, you know, although it was a one day event, we need to think a little bit about long term as well. Um, but the thing is, though, I don't just want to get round. I don't want to be riding for 20 hours because um, I can hardly turn the pedals. So I need to keep feeding the body with the supply of food it needs little and often throughout the day to um, to optimize blood sugar levels and and give myself the fuel so that the muscles can do the job. And and um, and yeah, that's that was kind of my thought process with regards to to, to making sure that I um I manipulate that food as, as well as I can. Obviously, fluid wise, I need to take on lots of water, drink whenever I'm thirsty and before I'm thirsty, well before I'm thirsty. Um, I need to make sure that I'm replacing salts and electrolyte balance because that's a long time of riding. Um, I worked out that I need to be uh, ingesting about 10 litres of water or an electrolyte mix. Um, so, so yeah, so keeping the fluids coming in all the time. So just to reiterate what I actually took with me food-wise, I had 15 times 600 mil bedons. Um, that was five with Scratch Labs carb mix, five with electrolyte mix, and five with just plain orange squash. I would alternate these bottles throughout the day. I had one litre of black coffee. Um, I had two times whey protein shakes, which was just my protein impact whey, uh, which was 25 grams of protein each. I had a large Tupperware box full of rice mix, which uh, was basically basmati rice, a can of tuna, two eggs, spinach, um, and a bit of soy sauce. Um, I had 300 grams of homemade sushi mixture, which I made the night before. I had a large tin of my grand's homemade flapjack, which is just oat and oats, nuts and honey, a real simple version. I had one Velo Forte de Bosco bar from Viva the Velo, two Cliff bars, thanks to Viva the Velo, and a bag of dried figs, thanks to Lidl. Um, and yeah, that's what I got through most of that, to be fair. Uh, not all of it, but most of it. Um, and I just kind of varied it throughout the day. I'd have a bit of flapjack, then I'd have a bit of sushi, then a bit more flapjack, just to, and keeping that 40 grams of carbs coming throughout the day. Um, obviously, the night before, I had to have a fairly decent amount of um, carbohydrates, so... Uh, but also the night before, I'm always, you know, I'm a big advocate of keeping things simple and doing what you're used to. And although I did need to increase my carbohydrate content a couple of days before the event to try and top up my stores, what I didn't want to do is give myself, um, you know, uh, make myself uncomfortable, make myself bloated with too much carbs. And ultimately it put a lot of body weight on as well. I just basically start, started to subconsciously ramp the carbs up about two days before um, the fiber and the fat started to wean off. And the night before, I had, I had a fairly um, big rice dish uh, with some white fish and some veg. Um, but I didn't go too crazy in terms of carbo loading as per se. Obviously, <clears throat> between that last evening meal before the event and the event itself i had one more meal which was basically my breakfast on the morning of the event um <clears throat> now bearing in mind 
we decided to start the Everesting at 6am on the hill. Um, so we need to remember here that this breakfast was at 4.30 that morning. Um, and I'm not usually used to eating at 4.30. Um, to be honest, I'm one of those individuals who normally waits a good hour between waking and eating anyway. Um, so the morning of the event, bearing in mind it was half four, um, I needed to keep it fairly light. It would be foolish to try, you know, to get up and have um, a kilo of porridge oats now because, um, it, you know, it wouldn't do me any good. And, uh, you know, we need to be kind to my uh, GI. We need to be kind to my stomach because if I don't want any GI issues that on the day. Um, I got up early enough so I could have my morning toilet visit, so to speak. Um, and I had a black coffee first thing just to, to stimulate that uh, without being too graphic. I had a pint of water, which is my standard morning ritual, and that black coffee just to get the juices flowing. And then uh, I had three scrambled eggs sweetened with cinnamon and raisins. And then I had 100 grams of porridge oats. Um, I have a little porridge recipe, um, which I basically make a, like um, a dark chocolate and ginger porridge, um, putting dark chocolate and ginger in some porridge oats. It doesn't sound very nice, but it's freaking fantastic, I think, and, uh, and works the treat. And that was enough to uh, kind of keep my carbohydrate stores good. Um, without feeling too full the eggs are easily digestible and uh, and yeah it went down a treat um i didn't spend time looking making my breakfast looking pretty um but it, it did the trick and uh and that was good after consuming my breakfast i was feeling good um it was around five o'clock after i finished my breakfast and time to head off to the location of the event Rich and I had decided that six o'clock was an appropriate time to start the challenge. Um, the reason for this is it's early enough to get a few hours in before the traffic picks up um, and we weren't finishing too late, but also not too early to compromise our sleep. Now, even with starting at six o'clock, I somehow managed to decide that I wanted to get up at half past three. <laughs> um, the hill is only about 30 minutes to get to. Now, I often get the mickey taken out of me by my close friends and family for being a bit over-enthusiastic when it comes to waking up early. So if someone says we're setting off at 5.15, they would normally wake up around, you know, an hour beforehand which would give them plenty of time to get ready. Um, but it's one of those things where um, I absolutely do not like to rush things, and especially when it's important day. Um, so the other thing I need to be aware of on this day is that my body isn't used to getting up that early, um, and it's not used to feeding at that time. So I need to give my body time to start the processes. Um, you know, those processes are very important. I need to allow my body time to go through those digestive processes and um, and prepare for the, for what's to come. 
I made myself a little um, list the night before. Uh, basically, that was wake up at half three, do some yoga at about four o'clock, have my breakfast at half four, and then I was going to set off at 5.15 to arrive at the hill at 5.45 and start the Everesting at six. I always like to write that little simple list down the night before just so I can stick to certain timestamps. So the alarm went the alarm went off at half three and there was no snooze button required. Um, even with my measly five hours sleep, I felt fantastic. Um, I'd been reading a lot about sleep recent sleep science recently, um, and I, I am kind of confident that that alarm went off at just the right time while I was in a lighter sleep cycle because I just felt great you know I was I could have jumped out of bed um, so I was lucky there for sure I did my 30 minutes worth of yoga um, I do this most mornings and um, and yeah although this 30 minutes was compromising my sleep by 30 minutes I did need to do this because, um, you know, especially when I'm going to embark on a challenge like this, um, it's very important to go through those processes, move my body in certain uh, planes of motion just to work out what's going on, make sure that everything's loose and warm um, and ready to perform at its best. And it gives me that time for a bit of mindfulness, a little bit of breathing activity, and um, prepare mentally and physically for what's to come. Um, I've already been, been through my breakfast, so I had that breakfast, um, and uh, and yeah, arrived, set off, and arrived at the hill at six o'clock. The forecast for the day, um, I'm, <laughs> it's funny. About a week before the event, I must have checked my phone on the forecast app about ten times every single day. And probably about 10 times in the space of 90 minutes before the event. Um, the forecast was giving a, a mediocre day, um, not an ideal day. It was giving showers. Um, I think it was forecast like 19 degrees. Um, but yeah, there was definitely going to be some rain at some point in the day. It was humid, so 19 and, and cloud cover all day. And I'm always certain we're going to get rain. But hey, um, we weren't going to change the day. That was the day it was happening. And all I needed to do was make sure that I was wearing an appropriate, um, you know, a, appropriate kit so that I wasn't going to get too cold on the descents. I knew I'd be warm enough going up. Um, obviously, at 19 degrees, it's no problem. It's just making sure that I don't get too wet um, because then it all just gets a bit grim, doesn't it? So I'm not going to lie. When we first got to the hill, it was near perfect conditions. There was no wind, no rain um, and about 16 degrees. Uh, there was no traffic for now. Um, in practice, the most reps I'd ever done of this hill was six reps. And back then it was fine. So I knew this would be fine. We set off and um, yeah, those first six reps were very pleasant, to be honest. We were riding up and down, you know, chatting sociably, having a little bit of banter, a little laughing. And um, it's um, it was all going great. Absolutely fantastic. I felt fine. My legs felt good. Um, 
But you've just got to appreciate that those first six reps is not even 10% of the challenge um, that uh, that you're going to be facing for the rest of the day. Um, but, it, you know, at the fourth rep, at the fifth rep, we didn't think of the bigger picture. Um, we didn't think that we had 50 or odd more reps to go. Instead, we were just thinking we only have two more reps until that first stop. And this is an important uh, kind of coping mechanism, I guess, and a way in which it was very clever of us to make sure that we stopped every six reps because you never thought or, you know, there was very little time that we thought we had X amount of reps to go until we're finished. It was more so we have three reps more until the next stop where I can have that bit of flapjack or where can I when I can have that bit of sushi or when, whatever it might have been. Although those six reps were fairly confident, we were very certain um, of a few things over those six reps. And these these things were, firstly, that the, the steep part of the hill was chuffing hard work. Um, and I think maybe we underestimated how much effort and, and how much power I would have to actually put down to maintain momentum up that steep part. To be precise, I was having to put out roughly 310 watts for about 40 seconds during that steep steep part of the hill. On its own, that's fine, obviously. But after six ascents, that's fine. After 40 plus ascents, we didn't really know how that was going to be. Um, Rich was the perfect partner to do this challenge with, though. Um, we are very, very like-minded individuals who show similar interests and passions. And it was great to just talk to him about different things, um, completely away from Everesting, completely away from cycling. Um, and uh, and yeah, you know, he's a, he's a fit guy as well. So we didn't really need to, I didn't need to slow down for him too much. And what was what was funny is like, throughout the day what you'll learn is that some reps I felt mint and would actually go uh, push ahead of Rich a few times but then equally there was some times when Rich felt better than I did and and he would push on a few times. Um, what we also noticed though quite early on was that Rich was absolutely awful at pacing. Um, he won't mind me saying uh, but we we decided to take turns on the front to break it up a little bit. Um, obviously, it's quite a busy road, so we, we couldn't ride too abreast too well. Um, I would take the front um, on odd laps, and he would take the front on even laps. Um, but <laughs> we soon realised that every time Rich was on the front, the pace would be massively fluctuating between going too hard for one minute and then nearly reaching a standstill as we recovered for the next minute. So, um, so yeah, we we then decided that me taking the front was a bit of a better idea because we were in a much better position after that. Um, on the first stop after those first six reps, we had clocked um, 3,200 feet, which to put that into perspective, if you do a fairly decent three-hour ride around uh, East Yorkshire, you'll, you know, with, with specifically looking to ride in the hills, you will average around that kind of elevation. Um, and, and that was done just under an hour of riding. So, um, so yeah, it, there's a lot of climbing, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, but, um, 
yeah, we weren't to be fooled, be fooled into waiting until I'm hungry to start to eat. You know, the the um, I wasn't hungry by this point, but we needed to get some food in. So I smashed down three pieces of sushi, a piece of flapjack, um, changed a bottle, and then we would off again in probably about two and a half, three minutes, something like that. Um, so then reps six through to three. 36 onwards you know um we just kept going we just kept pressing on um i'm gonna skip a big big block of time here you know reps six through to yeah 30 36 reps um they were done as planned uh we stopped every six reps for a short break every time um obviously by this time by the by rep 36 we'd top stopped for a po total of seven times and by this top point, I, I made a couple of notes for this podcast, obviously. By this point, we got through, I got through six bottles, um, half a flask of black coffee, one protein shake, all of my sushi mix, half of my rice mix, six pieces of flapjack and one Velo Forte bar. Um, we'd gone through many different weather fronts by this point, um, and this varied from absolutely chucking it down with bouncing rain off the roads to bright sunshine and 20 plus degrees. And to be honest, this this made it very, very difficult because my body was never happy. Um, I wouldn't have actually, I think, to be honest, like a dreary, drizzly day all day would probably be better because the problem was I was either shivering cold and wet on the descent or absolutely melting on the climbs there was no there was no kind of um middle middle point there um when it rained i opted for a gile on the descents um but as soon as i turned around and started climbing i had to take it off again um luckily i can ride non-handed while while cycling um to take this off um but uh, but yeah it was it was tricky uh, it was definitely tricky um what was really nice is throughout the course of the day, we had several cyclists join us for a few reps. Um, some of us did, some did kind of one or two reps. Um, some, some did maybe eight with us. I think the most was like 16 reps, which was um, uh, Michael from uh, Seaways. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike from Seaways, yeah. So, um yeah, fair play to him because he did 16 reps. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, you know, obviously compared to what we were doing, it was fairly insignificant. But, I mean, to, if I was to go and say, oh, I'm going to do um, 16, uh, sorry, 16 reps of Garabi tomorrow, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be looking forward to that. Sorry, Mike Thatcher is his name. I was just trying to remember his surname. Mike Thatcher from Seaways Cafe. Um, really nice bloke. And, uh, and yeah, he joined us with quite a few. Um, and there was also, um, you know, loads of people and, and one person who, who really, um, stood out, which amazed me on the day, um, was, uh, and the ex local postman from, um, the village, which James Counton lived in. Um, he was, um, he did absolutely loads of reps with us, uh, you know, um, and in fact, to be fair, I'm sure he did about 60, 15, 16 reps. Um, and he's about a 65, 65 year old guy. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he, he was obviously, 
he he knew James and he said he'd, that he'd do that in in his honour. Um, and uh, yeah, fair play to him. Um, so the halfway mark of our ele elevation finally arrived. Um, we had reached fourteen thousand five hundred feet, um, but we did a little bit of a calculation um, because we realized that we'd only done 26 reps by that halfway point in the elevation. So a small moment of delight because we recalculated and realized that we might actually be doing less than the scheduled 56 reps that we thought we'd be doing. Um, so obviously that calculates about 52 reps. Um, so as insignificant as that sounds, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, any um, any less reps is better. Um, I think the error in calculation was probably down to the fact that we were going slightly, slightly further um, at the bottom of the hill and slightly, slightly further at the top of the hill than we than the Strava segment that we put in was calculated on. And this just added up as we went along. Um but uh, but yeah, from the fa from this halfway point on uh, that 26 rep uh, mark, it was starting to get progressively harder for me, um, and I could tell which was uh, the same as well. Uh, I thought the halfway point would have been a nice kind of milestone to hit, um, where we'd kind of broken it, its back, so to speak. Um, but the reality was that you hit that milestone and realised just how long it it took you to get there. And as much as you try to put it out of the back of your mind, you you know full well that that second half will be so, so much worse. These old positive thoughts had kind of turned off by now. Um, it was more a case of just um, trudging on and ticking off each rep. Every time I'd get to the top, I'd have um, a momentary sigh of relief and then set off back down again. Um, and it was just kind of ticking off one rep at a time. And and this is truly when I started to think of my good friend James, who recently died, who recently died in that motorbike accident. Um, that bloody lump in my throat has come back again. Um, no matter how hard it got for me that day, um, I always had the choice of giving up. I always had that, um, at any point I could have just said it was enough and gone home to my loving fiance at the time, who's now my wife, um, had a nice warm meal and just relaxed. But unfortunately, James didn't have that choice when he was involved in that accident and neither did his loving fiance and neither did his family or friends when James um, had that accident. And, and the thought of this made the challenge feel much less significant um, again. So I just pressed on. I kept going. And um, and yeah, and, and that's kind of what really helped, I guess. In the end, you know, doing it in James's honour, I think maybe if I didn't do it in his honour, maybe I wouldn't have completed it because there was some dark times by that point. Um, but <clears throat> what was nice, but by this point... Um, there was a lot of family and friends which uh, which were cheering us on. Uh, stood at the top of the hill. Uh, they started to drive up, park up for half an hour, an hour, a couple of hours, cheer us on. Um, 
obviously I was being quite uh, selfish and not stopping to talk to a lot of them because I knew that I couldn't really have time to talk to them. Uh, quick hello and how are you doing and then off you go. Um, but <laughs> what was very funny on the day, um, and this happened around the halfway point, a wagon managed to break down on one of the steepest points of the hill. Um, and I was worried we were going to get some abuse from him for being the reason he couldn't get up the hill or, you know, get a run up for the hill, causing him to come to a halt. But this wasn't the case and it put a massive smile on my face. Um, I just remember riding up the hill and seeing this guy, obviously who's broken down on the hill, get out of his cab and he said, how many times are you riding up this lads? Obviously when he saw us go up and down a few times. And, and when I told him, he laughed and said we were mad. Um, but then he encouraged us. Um, and and obviously, like things like, you know, this is what's nice about doing things on, a, on the same hill all day because, you know, a recovery truck then arrived to pull the, the wagon up the hill. Um, and uh, when they got the recovery, the, the recovery guy said something similar, you know, hurling, world, hurling words of encouragement every time we passed um and and ensuring we he didn't get in the way of us you know kind of thing um and apparently he was a good actually a good friend of james um and when he heard that we were doing it in his name you know he was really supportive it's just amazing how you know the words spread across um so rich and i would talk as much as we could um we would kind of reminisce about past experiences and he'd tell me about what he did before cycling and so on and so forth. And, uh, this helped pass the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was really kind of persistent rain, but between reps 30 and 34 ish, if I remember rightly, um, it was absolutely pissing down proper, proper siling down. And, and this didn't help at all. Um, at that point, I think it was rep, 40-ish or 36-ish, um, we had a bit of a longer stop. Uh, one of my, one of our friends had a VW camper van, um, and he stopped it at the top of the hill and offered us a hot drink. Um, so yeah, by that point, um, we thought, you know, it, the, the rain was proper coming down now. So we thought, right, let's just jump in this camper van and have a little bit of a longer stop, the first proper sit down, because we'd passed the halfway point. We're you know we're roughly two thirds of the way through by this point. We'd had a lot of rain. We were kind of on track time wise, and we thought, right, let's have a sit down coffee, another piece of uh, a bit of um, bit of food, and just reset ourselves before going again. Um, you know, and mainly just to dodge that big band of rain that was coming over as well, I guess. Um, now, bear in mind, this stop that I'm calling a stop, it was still only about 15 minutes, something like that. Um, but it would is what I call the first proper break. Um, but um, I don't think it was a Yorkshire tea bag I had, I must admit. But bah heck, it hit the spot. Um, I sat there in the camper and sipped on my cup of tea. And I tell you what, I took a long sigh. And a moment of respite, and this moment of respite turned out to be a bad decision. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were probably sat in that camp for about 15 minutes, and um, over that course, while I was sat there, I started to feel worse and worse. You know, like, 
if you're sat and you start to think that you're getting an illness, like you're, you're catching a flu. It was that kind of sensation. Everything started to spin a little bit. I started to get really hot, really clammy, really stuffy. And um, it was, yeah, it wasn't a very nice sensation at all. Um, and I think what was happening is my body was kind of going shutdown mode. Obviously, I'd been repping hills for hours and hours and hours now. Um, and my body was like, holy crap, what's going on? And then I finally stopped. And I think my body finally kind of um, realized or thought, it, um, made the wrong decision in thinking that the, the day was done. Um, and it started to go in recovery mode. Now, rather than just sit there moaning, I was like, right, get your head into gear because this is not this is not what what we need to do. I popped two paracetamols and said to Rich that we better make a move um, because what I didn't want to do is get too comfortable and never want to go again. Um, I was not in a good place as we stepped back into the drizzle. Um, I, um, I could have stepped into some dry clothes, but to be honest, it would have been worthless because, um, uh, you know, we... We, we'd have just got wet again in no time. Uh, so I stuck a fresh gilet on um, and we descended the hill. And uh, to be honest, I was absolutely nithered. Um, you know, it was still a fairly warm day, but because I was so, so wet, you know, you've got to consider that we're going downhill at maybe 45, 50 miles an hour each time. And uh, it was like a completely separate climate. Um, the goose pimples were fully out. And I was proper shaking as I was descending that hill. As we turned around at the bottom um, and started to climb, I just realised how fucking hard this was. Like, you'll have heard of cafe legs before. If you can imagine the worst cafe legs you have ever experienced times 10, I had those legs. Um Obviously, I turned around at the bottom of the hill and um, <clears throat> started to turn the pedals. I felt absolutely awful from head to toe. Like, I felt actually feverish, uh, like I was genuinely ill. And um, and because I was so cold, my knee was really hurting. Um, I, it felt like I'd twinge my knee. Um, I was going hot and cold all the time and... Uh, Honestly, this was an incredibly dark place. Um, it was incredibly hard work at this point. I cannot tell you how close I was to giving up right now. Um, genuinely, the only thing that was keeping me going was having the support at the top of the hill and knowing that they were expecting me to come back every time and thinking about James Counton every single rep. Um, that was an incredibly dark place that I was in right now. I kept ticking the reps off um, and we got to the point where there was about five reps left. So we had our last feed um, and we thought, right, five, le five reps to go. By this point, to be fair, we were stopping for about a minute at the top of every single climb just to, just to kind of um, uh, get some sort of energy back um, Obviously, I was I was starting to come down to, you know, not eating as much whole food. I was starting to go down to kind of sugary food to try and get some sort of energy back. Um, I was hitting the caffeine um, and I felt so weak. But, I you know, the caffeine helped a little bit. 
Um, Rich actually seemed to hand, have a second wind at this point. Um, whether it was his Coca-Cola kicking in or, or the thought of the finish line, I don't know. But uh, we were kind of um, feeding off each other. And um, when one of us felt awful, the other one usually felt a little better. But we both were pretty uh, pretty bad. Um but uh, but yeah, by this point it was really the support the side of the road um, which really helped. And uh, and seriously, if any of you are listening to this podcast that were there on the day, I cannot tell you how much you helped that day. It was an unbe- unbelievable amount of support that we had. Um, each and every one of you is part of this journey that we were ha- that we were on. And um, you know, I will remember you and I will thank you forever. Um, most of you waited for hours watching me struggle in the cold. Um, and, uh, amongst all of those at the side of the road was, uh, James Counton's dad, Fran Counton. Um, and after a brief hello, I genuinely had a tear in my eye riding down that hill. Um, you know, what a nice sight to see him there and for him to show support as well as all the others too. It was such a great sight. So we had a last little Google search just to triple check the height of Everest, um, just to make sure that we were on the right foot when it came to knowing how many reps I needed to do. 52 reps would um, put us roughly 20 feet over the height of Everest, which was um, which was spot on. Um, and it was it actually suddenly dawned on me by this point. And to be fair, my dad actually told me um because i was no in no fit state to think of these things while doing the everesting attempt um just how significant the number 52 is um 52 was actually james counton's racing number um and he'd had this racing number ever since he first started racing um so yeah again just a, a nice little uh, little thing to add to that um and again spurred me on even more um we just just kept going um as we descended for the final time, obviously, it sounds like I'm passing over just how awful I felt at this point, by the way. Um, it was such a dark place. I cannot tell you how much I was suffering. I had no energy. And I just remember that last climb. Um, it was that last time just took so long. <laughs> um, and uh, my knee was, my right knee was massively swollen by this point. I had a lot of knee injuries as, as a young lad through motocross and uh, they don't ever flow, flare up, but obviously um, just purely from overuse and, and the um, and the cold, um, the knee was really hurting. Um but as we were descending for that last time, my only thought was do not crash. You know, um, it was pitch black by this point, by the way, pitch, pitch black for the last five reps or so. And I just didn't want to crash. Um, my lights were on the bike now and, and I was just, uh, my eyes were all over the place. I couldn't see much, to be honest. I was pretty delirious. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, uh, we ascended for that last time and, uh, and yeah, it was um, a bloody hard last rep, but I knew I'd do it by that point because everyone was cheering. We uh, we finished at 29,350 feet, 145 miles and 12 and a half hours, which was 52 reps of the hill. Um, and like I say, that finish, when we crossed that line, it felt a real 
occasion because there were so many people cheering, writing things on the road, taking photos. Um, and as soon as I stopped and unclipped and climbed off that bike, everything just went into perspective. It all suddenly felt really, really worthwhile. A massive sense of accomplishment um, while an overwhelming sense of fatigue. Um, I just remember crossing the finish line, hugging my wife, um, which, my, you know, talking to my best friend and uh, and seeing Craig Zad take a few photos. And uh, I was just so delirious. I mean, I couldn't really speak to anybody. Um, I got home. My wife cooked me a massive portion of lasagna <laughs> and um i absolutely smashed it down and went to bed i was knackered um but it was worth every single minute and um not only did it feel great for myself but also i raised a fair amount of money for that charity that i mentioned um i got into uh, four figures uh, for raising for that charity, which was great, and um, and that was recognised really well with the um, with the charity. They actually invited me over to the Isle of Man, uh, which I went uh, the the following year, which was a great experience just to um, see what they do over there and spend a bit of time with the uh, the main men over there. Um, and uh, and yeah, so to summarise, an incredibly emotional day actually um and one an event that i will never forget ever because it was just such a special day it was an incredibly fatiguing day and um i don't think i'll ever do anything quite as hard to be honest um again thank you for every single person who came to that to that hill because it was a very special day um, normally by this point in the podcast, I will reel through the Q&As that I have asked on my Instagram stories. Um, but I'm mindful I've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes. So um, what I will be doing, and I'd already plan, kind of planned this, is I will be um, doing another podcast in kind of early next week, I think, maybe Monday or Tuesday next week. Um which will be that uh, training and fitness 101 type format, a little bit about the underlying principles to developing fitness and form on a bike. And then during that podcast, um, I'll also, sorry, I'll also be talking a little bit about what people are also doing wrong a lot of the time with regards to training. And then during that podcast at the end, I will reel off these Q&As that you've been asking um, on my Instagram stories. So, until next time, thank you very much for listening and uh, have a great day. See you later.